you know, enjoy every moment that you can right now because it's, it is only a process. Um, you know, one of the happiest days of my life was when I sold Primal Kitchen. Hmm. It was also one of the saddest days of my life. Hmm. I used to run marathons and I used to do triathlons. You know, you train your ass off and it's, and it's a lot of dedication and hard work. And it's pretty much a, again, it's sort of a metaphor for how some people live their lives. Grind it, grind it, grind it. Struggle, suffer, don't enjoy it. Um, manage discomfort, manage pain, and maybe, maybe one day you'll win. Hello, you radical health seeker. Welcome back to the show. This one is a very special episode as I sit with one of my personal health heroes, Mr. Mark Sisson. If you don't know who Mark is, then maybe you've been living under a rock, <laughs> but he is an OG in this ancestral health space. He's been in the game for a long time. He is the blogger and author of many books, including The Primal Blueprint. His website, uh, Mark's Daily Apple, is one of the most successful health blogs in this space. And he is the man responsible for that delicious, delicious primal kitchen mayo that you see on shelves now, which is seed oil free. Mark has been in this game for a long time, spreading a message of health, and he has so much wisdom to share, not just from the health perspective, but also life lessons from an over 30-year-long marriage and his entrepreneurial efforts and how he is now optimizing for maximum enjoyment and longevity. Expect to hear about how he prioritizes protein and shifts his training these days to make sure that he can play with his grandkids and age gracefully. Mark's thoughts on TRT, Mark's thoughts on finding your purpose, and then we, of course, talk to our live callers. We discuss the relationship with the scale, BMI, relationship to the body in general, and how to reorient that thinking for maximum success. And then last but not least, what happens when you go animal-based or primal, and then you slip back into some old habits, and the pain teacher pays you a visit because you have to pay the price for some not-so-aligned food choices and what that gets to teach us. This conversation is so much fun. It was really fun for me. I think you guys are going to learn a lot. Without further ado, here comes Mark Sisson. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. We've got an epic conversation lined up today with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Mark Sisson. Mr. Primal himself, how are you doing, Mark? Welcome to Austin. Welcome to HQ. Uh, thank you, Steve. I'm doing fabulously. Um, love Austin. Love it every time I come here. Always exploring and finding new things to do here. It's awesome, eh? Yeah. I got to say that this one is a bit of a... A bit of a trippy, like full circle moment for me to sit here as the interviewer for Mark, because I've told my story on the show before, but the synopsis of it is when I was around 17 or 18 years old and I was in a bit of a health crisis myself, I started to listen to these crazy new things called podcasts. And I heard this guy on there called Mark Sisson. He was talking about his blog and his athletic career and his issues with his knees when he was a mega burner, eating all of these grains. And this idea was planted, what happens if you remove gluten containing grains from your diet? So that was my intro and I went away and then I, I was following you around. I was reading your books and that was really a, a turning point for me. It was a very big catalyst in my own health journey. It was the information that equipped me with this knowledge that I could heal, that my family could heal from all of these genetic predispositions. And one of your lines, you know, like your genes load the gun, but your environment pulls the trigger. Like all of these things were clicking for me. And lo and behold, years later, I'm at a crossroads again in life. And I'm sitting on a beach in Costa Rica at New Year's Eve, wondering what on earth am I going to do? And I hear a, 
an episode, uh, an advertisement on the end of one of your episodes about the Primal Health Coach Institute, mm -hmm. about hey, you could become a coach. And here I am, I've got all of this knowledge now, all of this, the, this cool comeback story. And I'm like, that's the next thing. So I enrolled for the PHCI. That was six years ago at this point. That coaching program that's led by you and the amazing team that helped me build my coaching career and has now put me in this seat where I get to have cool conversations. So in a way, it's just incredible to be here and sitting in because your, your information changed my life as I'm sure you hear all the time. But just wanted to, a debt of gratitude for you, man, because it's really cool to be able to sit in now and kind of like roles reversed a little no, bit. No, I love that. I, I appreciate hearing these stories. Mm. It's always, uh, as they say, it's psychic income, right? It's, yeah. it's gratifying to have people take um, the fruits of my labor and my investigations and, and actually uh, employ that information and do something not only for themselves and their families, but take it out into the world and pay it forward, which yes. is what a lot of the primal health coaches do. Yeah. That, I always think about ripple effects, right? Yeah. Like you start as just a man and you can reach so many people, but then through your blog, you reach infinitely more. And then all of a sudden, now you start coaching coaches and they go out and they reach there and it's like ripples on ripples. And you've got all these other things going on, these new brands, there's your mayonnaise in the stores and all of this stuff. So before we dive into all of that, I'm kind of curious about Mark's story, like going way back, you know, to who you was as a, as a child in your upbringing. Were you always purpose-driven? Was it... Did it emerge or was it always like, I'm going to be this change maker. I'm going to cause ripples in the world. What's the story though? It's really interesting. I, I, you know, I've been accused of being a serial entrepreneur Yeah, and I am, I've started a lot of businesses, probably six really serious businesses. Um, a couple of them have failed, but a couple of them have done quite well. Um, and maybe a handful of others, uh, beyond that. Um, I'm, I'm not so much about passion and purpose. I'm about compulsion. I'm about being compelled to do something, to share something. So mm. it's a feeling that I have. Um, it started probably, I mean, you know, as an adult, it started with a book that I wrote in um, 1982. It was the first book on training for triathlons. I had done the Ironman and I had learned so much about how we overtrain and mm. how horrible the training for marathon running was, which was my first sport, and how terrible and onerous and inhumane the training was for triathlon training, uh, that I felt compelled to rewrite the concept of training and, yes. and make it more, you know, palatable and more humane and more, in, you know, kinder and gentler. Um, over the years, I, as I started my supplement company, um, I was involved in the anti-doping movement mm. in triathlon for years and uh, was uh, the anti-doping commissioner and was, you know, sort of trying to police the use of performance-enhancing substances uh, in, in elite sport. I was frustrated that those substances, which were illegal, many of them work really well, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a reason that people use them because it enhances their training. So I created a line of supplements to, you know, safe, legal supplements that athletes could use to enhance their recovery. Mm. I felt compelled to share that information, that research that I'd done um, with the rest of the world. Like these are amazing um, opportunities to, to compete at a higher level, to recover faster um, by judiciously eating certain foods and taking certain supplements. As I <laughs> dug deeper into that uh, aspect of performance, of not just elite performance, but human performance in general, I came across this ancestral way of living. Mm. This, it started out as paleo, but quickly became the primal blueprint. And as I looked into, which my, my background is a pre-med candidate in college, 
uh, my interest in evolution, I was marrying these, this concept of evolutionary biology with modern genetic science and coming up with these like hidden genetic switches mm. that we all have that we can all turn on if we know how to do that, if we know the behaviors uh, by which to turn on certain genes and turn off others. I felt compelled mm. to share that with the world. Later on with starting Primal Kitchen, the food company, um, I was so frustrated at the fact that there were no healthy condiments to put on your salads or put on your foods. I had recognized early on that um, the best way to eat is to clean up your diet, to eat real food. But when you eliminate the industrial seed oils and the sugars and the processed grains and the processed foods, you come down to a pretty short list yeah. of, of actual yeah. foods that you can eat. And what makes the difference, what makes it palatable, what makes it sustainable is the methods of preparation, right? Yeah. The sauces, the dressings, the toppings, the herbs, the spices. And recognizing that and then look, going out into the stores and seeing that, that all these things you could put on food to make it taste better, sure. they were all junk. They were all horrible. So I set about to create products that were based on healthy ingredients. Having done so, I felt compelled mm. to share that with the rest of the world. Mm. And now once I you know, sold Primal Kitchen, and I'm still very much involved in Primal Kitchen, I'm, I'm uh, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm, I'm involved with the team, I'm the face of the brand. Um, however, I have enough time that I, that I then delved into my latest venture, uh, which is foot health and foot comfort. Mm. I've been frustrated at footwear ever since I was a runner back in the 60s and 70s. Um, and, uh, and so I felt compelled to create a new type of shoe, to reimagine footwear. We'll yeah. talk about that a little bit later. Absolutely. But, but yeah. it's, so, so back to the original. I, I, I go online and I look at these Instagram business coaches talking about passion and purpose and you know what's your, what's your passion. Well, look, if we followed our passion we'd all own an ice cream store. Yep. And we would have done that from the age of 12. Yep. Um, you know, purpose is great, but without, without something behind it, it's, it's tough to, to really get up every day and, and go at it and hit it hard, yeah. right? But so I, I like to use this term, I mean, compulsion has its, its other negative connotations too, right? But, but I'm feeling compelled to, to share the excitement that I have about mm. whatever it is that I'm discovering I feel compelled to share that with the rest of the world. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that, actually, because I think it's almost like a, a newer Disneyland version of life that you should find your passion and let it consume you from the inside out and then just go about becoming this yeah. artist. But yeah. you said something that's really important there as well, in particular, if that's sold to the youth, like, how do you even know? I mean, like you said, you were kind of a, what, a 60-year overnight success? <laughs> no, that's exactly right, yeah. Uh, I was... Uh, you know, I, I started Primal Kitchen when I was 61. Right. And, when, you know, when I was 18 or 25, did I think I was going to be the Mayo King of Malibu? <laughs> right. You know, was that my passion? Absolutely not. It was, it's kind of funny because by, by exploring and, and uh, you know, opening certain doors and having other doors slammed in your face, the, the real uh, challenge in life is to discover the opportunities. Yeah. And and then see whether those opportunities resonate with you. And so I wasn't even a big fan of mayonnaise. Like, mm. I wasn't like, oh, my God, I have to create a mayonnaise. When we, when we went to the kitchen and we said, what is it that people want? What, what do people like um, to make their food taste better? And um, one of the things that had, had been kicked out of the pantry early on with paleo and primal and ancestral was mayonnaise. Yep. And so anybody who was like, 
you know, what am I going to eat to eat healthy? I can't eat salad. I can't eat uh, tuna salad, chicken salad, yeah. potato salad, yeah. because I got to use mayonnaise and all mayonnaise sucks. Yep. So for me, it wasn't about, oh, I'm passionate about mayonnaise. It was like the first thing we, we were able to make and produce commercially and in a way that, that uh, was you know, sustainable was mayonnaise. And mm. so I'm like, okay, I feel compelled to share this with the universe because mm -hmm. this could change, literally could change people's lives. And you know, you talked about, um, you know, that, that sort of uh, downstream effect. I initially wanted to have, uh, you know, change the lives of 10 million people. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I started doing that with Mark's Daily Apple with my blog. And then I wrote some books and I did some seminars and we did some, some experiential retreats and things like that. Um, certainly the Primal Health Coach program was one of those ways of leveraging and getting more and more people. Mm. Um, if I'm going to affect 10 million people, I can't do it myself, yes. right? Well, another way of doing that, by the way, I had to add, I had to add a zero to that. Now yeah. it became 100 million. Um, <laughs> but, but another way to do that was to create uh, foods mm -hmm. that were um, attractive to people who never even heard of ancestral or primal or paleo. That's right. But who would like the food, pick up... Uh, pick up the label and go, oh, interesting. It has no offensive ingredients mm. and, and get it into their hands that way. So there's this um, exponential way of, and, and multitude ways of reaching people. And it's, I think it's incumbent upon an entrepreneur to then discover those opportunities. Again, not because you're passionate necessarily, you can be passionate, but yeah. not because you're wickedly passionate about something in particular, but because you've discovered um, an opportunity to serve humanity yes. with, you know, with a gift that you've created. Oh, I love it. I love it, man. So closing the loop on this passion thing, because, because I do get asked by it a lot, like in terms of followers and people that are tuning into this kind of content again, with this, this myth of like, I'm just going to find my passion. I like, look, if you're lost and you don't know where to start, then what you should do is maybe forget this idea of finding your passion at all and focus on just living in alignment, trying to become the healthiest version of yourself because to be radically healthy in a world that's kind of set up to make you sick will teach you an awful lot. And maybe by being on that path, your purpose might find you because it's experiential, you learn a lot. And everything that you just said about that was all of your attempts to solve the problems. And right. that's what businesses are, right? They exist to solve problems. So the problem of people didn't have healthy condiments, you're like, I can solve this problem for people. But for the longest time, the biggest problem you were helping people solve was just this conundrum of human human health. Right. And you've done it for decades at this point through the lens of ancestral wisdom and primal living and the primal blueprint and your laws and this amazing framework that maybe even still to people that are newer to this world is a crazy idea. So like what what is the you know the big or the zoomed out perspective of the primal blueprint to fitness this evolutionary ancestral lens of living a healthy radical life? It's pretty simple from my perspective. And again, you have to, you know, boil things down to, um, you know, the, the, uh, a reasonable explanation so that the average person can, can grasp it and, yeah. and, and grok it as we say. Um, but I would say, um, you know, each of us contains a recipe, a, gene a genetic recipe that wants to build, mm. um, a strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, productive, loving body. And that recipe was forged in millions of years of, of evolution, most of which was under very extreme, harsh conditions. Um, scarcity of food, scarcity of water, um, weather conditions, 
um, you know, wild animals, uh, you know, at, at every corner. And so this, this, uh, this, that crucible of evolution created uh, a recipe that we all carry today. Mm. Like the, in, since civilization emerged only eight to 10,000 years ago, there's not been enough time for our genes to have evolved uh, to, um, to express themselves as willing to eat industrial seed oils and, and thrive on that, or mm. you know, um, able to digest gluten uh, uh, you know, ubiquitously. Mm. So, so many of us um, sort of give up, the, we cede control of our own health because we assume that the genes that we were given by our parents doom us to mm -hmm. some certain pathway. And the message I always wanted to, to give to people is, you know, your, your familial genes will determine some of your health based on your habits. Um, but those are really, it's, it's your human genes, the things that make you human, that, that are malleable and that you can, uh, you know, based on your inputs, based on the food you choose to eat, based on the workouts you choose to do, based on the amount of sleep you get, the amount of sun exposure, the amount of play you engage in, how often you use your brain. Like everybody makes protein the same way. Everybody burns fat the same way. Everybody's immune system pretty much works the same way. Mm -hmm. It's just the degree to which it does it that shifts from one family to another or mm -hmm. from one set of specific genes to another. So within that range, there's a lot of room to move and say, you know, I may not be genetically predisposed to be on the cover of Muscle and Fitness mm -hmm. magazine. Um, I may not ever get down to 8% uh, body fat, but I can certainly become supremely healthy, wickedly fit, mm -hmm. and live uh, a very productive and healthy life if I choose to engage in certain um, behaviors, if I choose to engage in, in or consume certain foods. And so my job has always, and yours has been for the longest time as well, to allow people to see what those behaviors would be. And what would it be like if you shifted away from industrial seed oils yeah. and, getting, and, and your inflammation subsided? What would it be like if you skipped the meal once in a while mm -hmm. and uh, started to develop some metabolic flexibility and burned off fat when you weren't even trying to burn off fat? Yeah. What would it be like? So giving, giving everyone this opportunity to choose to engage in behavior um, was is is kind of my has always been my mission in life. Like mm -hmm. I, I feel like man, I found this secret and I just want to share it with everybody. You don't have to do it. You don't have to listen to it. There's nobody's, you know. There, but but I feel compelled to let you know that this this is what could happen if you did this. Mm, exactly. And it sounds like your curiosity has just always driven you, right? Not settling, always going for more. Now, uh, you know, you're turning seventy this year. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. Right. So like. For people that don't know what Mark looks like, if you're listening on audio, if you could choose to look like Mark looks at almost 70 years old, you're probably going to bite the hand that feeds very, very quickly. You've obviously a walking, living, breathing embodiment and testament that this lifestyle works if you apply it. But you you also, because you're inherently curious, you ask questions, probably sometimes get you in trouble, but also it Absolutely. reveals amazing insights. Yeah. 
how is your thought process evolving? I mean, obviously it's jumped leaps and bounds from the mega burner carbohydrate days where you're probably smashing pasta the night before a race to carb load to now maybe even this, this next phase in life, this aging really well, this, I've heard you talk about, you know, it's really important to prioritize protein for the muscle mass and, yeah. you know, even, even more recent updates in your thinking, like a deprioritization of the big ass salad that was one of your kind of, you know, well, thank you, Paul. Time. Thank you for helping me make that decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's going on? What's some big shifts more recently in Mark Sisson's life? Um, I think the shift is, is, is just one of uh, accepting the aging process with, with ease and grace. Yeah. Well, not so much ease, but with grace. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's uh, to, to face your own mortality for me, it's it's never been an issue because but because I was an athlete, I was always uh, performance driven, mm -hmm. and to this day, I'm like, oh, maybe I can set a PR and mm -hmm. something new, mm -hmm. right? I can set a personal record in in some new thing that I've never tried before, and um, I, I've sort of dropped that now. Yeah. So now my my diet is uh, much more inclusive of the things that maybe 20 years ago I completely omitted. Yes. Um, again, within reason. I don't want to hurt myself. I yes. don't want to. But this is this is not about um, a dogmatic adherence to my particular way of eating. It is at the end of the day, it's about enjoying life. Mm -hmm. So my, you know, we, we many of us in this in this space get caught up in the in the dogma and the and the biohacking and all of the stuff that we can do to uh, somehow, I don't know, improve. Uh, our health by by with the e the least amount of effort yeah you know possible um i first and foremost i just want to get the most enjoyment and pleasure and contentment and fulfillment out of every moment i can and so that doesn't mean that i have to you know adhere to some uh dogmatic thing i in fact i want to if i want to have a little bit of dessert i'll have a little bit of dessert yeah. if i want to have an extra glass of wine i'll have an extra glass of wine if i want to take four days off of training i'll take four days off of training i want to enjoy um uh i want you and i before the show we talked about our new mutual friends yeah sonny and michelle uh in saint bart's i mean that was a debauched four days for yeah. me right i had a great time and and you know i i was because i wanted to extract the greatest amount of pleasure from that um i did so i did it within reason so mm. i know i know when to pull back and when to say okay you know four days of this is is about all i can mm. handle i couldn't handle it every day like mm. a lot of people do um so for me it's it you know my my latest iteration is one of again of, of just sort of saying i i want to enjoy my life i want to spend time with my grandchildren i want to you know hang out with my family i'm not so um you know, I'm not so rigorously adhering to any sort of a training strategy yeah. like I would have even even five or ten years ago. Yeah. Right. I wake up in the morning. It's like, what do I feel like doing today? Mm. Not like I don't wake up and go, oh, shit, today's leg day. Mm. You know, I better prepare for leg day. Mm. I wake up in the morning and go, yeah, maybe I'll do legs today or maybe I won't. Or maybe I'll go for a you know fat bike ride or maybe I'll go for a paddle. And, and it's it's the it's the freedom to make those decisions on the fly and not be beholden to a script that now gives me pleasure. Yes. That freedom would have scared me mm. five or 10 or oh, 10 or 15 years ago. Right. But
but today that freedom of just like I'm, I'm, I'm so set and I'm so confident that my metabolic flexibility mm -hmm. will take care of me, that my fitness will take care of me, that I'll be able to, you know, engage in this new activity, this new game without mm -hmm. getting hurt. All those things give me the freedom to kind of choose things uh, on the fly without, again, without adhering to a script. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense to you, but that's... It does. Yeah. What I'm, what I just I like, made that up. I've never been asked that question before. So. That's so cool. <laughs> what I'm kind of pulling and hearing from that is this crazy word called balance. Like, yeah. it feels very balanced. And... I always think that balance is the key to sustainability and longevity, but to be balanced in a world that's desperately out of balance can even sometimes make you look extreme. And we go through various personal iterations of that. Like you said something there that's really key. You've kind of gone to extremes on both ends. So you've expanded your range, which means you know where your center is, which means like if you let loose on vacation for four days, you know that you're coming back to your center because it's who you are. Now, I guess the, the, the problem for some people is they don't know that yet. They haven't gone to those extremes. They've not done the elimination diets. They've not prioritized this, but that's coming from a place of lived experience for you. You've got a lot of wisdom. You know, I'm sitting yeah. here and you've got twice the life wisdom as me. And I think you learned some stuff along that path, right? And you're now prioritizing and optimizing for longevity and health and playing with your grandkids. And I just think that's very, very important. I have a question for you being in this position for such a long time and knowing that now what you know what if you so i think about the aging population and a similar demographic for you like what's one big thing you would like to see generally that population do more of and what's one big thing you would generally like to see more of in the youth so if you now from the seat of wisdom yeah. and the wise monk on the hill of having so many years in this What's one big thing in the aging population? And then what's one big thing in the youthful population that could really be a serious needle mover on this thing called health? Well, in the aging population, it's, it's muscle mass, right? Mm. It's, it's, that's the, that's 80% of the battle as far as I'm concerned in, um, you know, managing, uh, mobility, um, blood flow to the brain, um, st strength and agility balance comes into play there. Uh, so anybody who's, you know, in that senior citizen category would be well served to increase their protein and start doing mm -hmm. some weight training and not mm -hmm. a lot of weight training, but enough to build, to build and sustain muscle mass. So that muscle mass, you know, carries over into every other part of your body. So mm. you can, you can use it as a proxy, if you will say, well, if I go to the gym and I, and I lift weights, that's great. I got, I got arms and I got legs, but what does that do for the rest of me? Well, it, it prompts the heart to have to beat harder to keep up with that. So mm -hmm, now the mm -hmm. heart's working out. It prompts the lungs to breathe in deeply. So now you get, you get the lungs working um, better. It, it, it prompts the liver to clear, uh, to clear metabolites and to provide uh, energy substrates more. Um, all the organs in the body sort of depend on your decision to, to build muscle mass mm. for them to have a reason to live. The bones, the bones will get brittle if you don't, if you don't have strong muscles because the bones all attach to a muscle. And so when the, when the muscle gets stronger, the bone goes, I gotta, I gotta get, gotta I, keep ha up. I have to get, I have to keep up. I yeah. have to get stronger. And so, uh, you know, the, the morbidity that happens in older people, this end of life tragedy that so many people succumb to, it's, you know, it's either cardiovascular disease, which could have been mitigated by a better diet, mm. more protein working out, um, you know, cancer, uh, that has maybe a lot to do with, uh, with industrial seed oils, mm -hmm. uh, with free radical oxidative damage, um, blood sugar management, so diabetes, loss of limbs, all that stuff. Again, blood sugar management, very dependent on, on muscle strength and health and muscle mm. mass. 
Um, all these things come back to you just got to build muscle. You don't even have to do aerobic stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, I think, one of the problems with the 60s and 70s with Ken Cooper and this whole thing about, you, you know, he wrote the book on aerobics, literally called aerobics, um, that when you worked cardiovascularly, um, running, jogging, cycling, doing all these long-distance things, that it would create a, a more healthy heart. Well, yeah. it, it sort of did, but everybody sort of then went in that direction of aerobics, and aerobic dance became a big thing mm -hmm. in the 80s, and everyone was, all the women were going to aerobic classes. And, and over the years, uh, we sort of forgot that it's, it's really muscle that drives most of this, and everything you do in the gym is aerobic anyway, mm -hmm. right? All weightlifting has an aerobic component mm -hmm. to it. So yeah. you'd rather, you, you're better off focusing on the, on the weights than you are on the long distance slogging it out. So that's for the old people. Mm -hmm. For the young people, um, it, it, I think t my thing is it's more of a mental health thing for the young people. It's, it's, huge. it's huge. You know, I think it's, it's recognizing that, that life is full of um, opportunity and wonder and fulfillment and, and lots and lots of chances, yeah. right? So you can, as a young person, I see so many people saying, God, I'm already 24, I'm already 26, I don't know what I want to be, and, I, and I, don't, I, you know, I, don't, I don't feel connected to any sort of a passion or purpose. Um, you know, I tell my kids, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was 47. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> And then I changed my mind when I was 61. Mm. Um, so there's no, there's no meter mm. uh, running on your decision to participate in life. It's just uh, what I tell young people, especially young entrepreneurs, is live your life. Don't, mm. like, don't postpone living your life while you're building your brand or building your business. Um, but but you know, enjoy every moment that you can right now because it's, it is only a process. Um, you know, one of the happiest days of my life was when I sold Primal Kitchen. Hmm. It was also one of the saddest days of my life. Hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do. Right. You know? So I had to come up with the next thing. Hmm. But it wasn't like, oh my God, all of this, everything I've sacrificed my whole life is finally worth it for this one uh, feeling that I had for 24 hours having sold the company. It's like when I, I used to run marathons and I used to do triathlons. You know, you train your ass off, and it's and it's a lot of dedication and hard work, and it's pretty much a, again, it's sort of a metaphor for how some people live their lives: grind it, grind it, grind it, struggle, suffer, don't enjoy it, uh, manage discomfort, manage pain, and maybe maybe one day you'll win. Mm. Um, and if you do win, good for you. But if you do win, there is a huge letdown the next yeah. day. If you don't win. You know, now you're really hosed. It's like, oh, shit, I did all this work and I didn't win. Unless you, unless you appreciate the process, unless you enjoy the process as you're doing it. Mm. And if you enjoy the process, whether it's building a business, whether it's building a family, whether it's you know, writing, taking three years to write a book, the process is really what life's about. Yeah. So for young people, I would say, don't get so caught up in having to make decisions or having to you know, become an Instagram ass model and mm -hmm. make, you know, think you're going to make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. If you don't, you know, that's okay. That door shut, find two more opportunities and move on. 
Yeah, that is so important. This falling in love with the process. Um, I would say like a lot of people are suffering that I'll be happy when syndrome. Yeah. So they're like, I'll be happy when my business sells for a hundred million dollars. But like you said as well, there's a very real thing. It's even bore out in the literature, I believe like gold medal depression or something. Yep. These people dedicate all their lives to it. They get it. They're elated for 12 hours and they're like, what now? You know what I mean? But if you're on the process, there's always the next thing that you, cause you, like I always think about finite and infinite games, yeah. right? Like the infinite game is just, the goal isn't to win a business. You don't win at business, you keep playing. Like yep. health, you don't win at health. The goal is to keep getting healthier. You don't win at marriage. The goal is to stay married. So you just keep playing these infinite games and that's the process, right? Not this obsession with certain number of followers or certain zeros in the bank account. Those are, those are like outcomes of you being in love with the process and constantly seeking growth. Exactly. I remember early days of uh, Primal Health Coach Institute where we would have people come in and say, I love the program. I love what we're doing. I love what I'm learning, um, but I'm not ready to be a coach yet yeah. because I don't look yeah. like a coach, mm -hmm. right? I, I still have 20 pounds to lose before I can be a coach. And uh, you've probably been party to those conversations where like, no, this is the best time to be a coach. You're mm. the process, you're sharing your process with other people. So that I'll be happy when syndrome um, can manifest itself with a lot of people in the health space who are like, um, well, I can't talk to anybody because, uh, or I can't go out because I have a photo shoot in three weeks mm. and I'm training for my photo shoot. Well, that's a snapshot in one, that's yes. one day where you're going to take pictures and you're going to put them on whatever the magazine or Instagram where you can share them. But that's, that's not who you are. Yes. That is a point in time. That's a snapshot. And you're, you're still a wonderful person. You're still the same person before and after that happens. Why would you invest so much in, and I get it. I mean, I, I understand that's a goal, but, but, but to not enjoy the process of getting there yeah. is the big, the big issue. Yeah, that enjoyment piece is threaded in almost everything you've said, right? It's, are you happy now? Are you happy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So my, let my, me wife, my wife has commented on that because for the longest time, I, I wasn't. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, I was sort of content. Hmm. I was, you know, business was good. I was kind of satisfied. I, and I love my family and I had a great uh, family life. One of the things I'm most proud of is the amount of time I spent with my kids hmm. as they were growing up. I didn't put that off. But I wasn't really happy mm. until I sort of stepped back and realized what that meant. You know? mm. And it did mean um, being grateful for, for every moment and, and the process. I'm, I'm driving out here today and the traffic was horrible. And, I'm, and I literally, I, like, this isn't me doing this, but, but I did it. I went into a gratitude thing. I'm like, yeah. you know, I, I feel one of the things I'm most grateful for is I can, I can center myself in any situation and feel my gut. Yeah. And it feels good because for the longest time in my life, like for 40 years, plus or minus, I would be driving out to this podcast and my gut would be hurting and I would wonder where the near, and I'd be stuck in traffic wondering mm. where the nearest bathroom was, right? So, so just that, and that's, it's been over 20 years since I solved that problem. And to this day, I'm still grateful. I have to go, oh my God, I feel amazing, mm. you know? So little things like that, when you recognize that that's, you know, that life is full of those little moments where you could stop and go, yeah, you know, some shit going on over here and some bad stuff over there. But, you know, on, in general, look what I have. It's yes. amazing. Yes, that's that's wonderful. I, we were having that conversation this morning, too, about just these reframes, these mental models, like of being able to move from resistance and complaining about the traffic to like, oh, okay, I mean, 
me complaining about the traffic is not going to make the traffic go faster. Right. Let me check in with my buddy right now. Look where I am. I'm in Austin. I've got a beautiful family in life. I feel good. I'm going to go have this cool chat and like, boom, back into gratitude. So I'm curious then. Gratitude's a piece of it. Yeah. If you had a cauldron and you had to make a recipe, you've made recipes forever, but now you're making the recipe for happiness. What are some of the key ingredients that need to go in that cauldron? I mean, <clears throat> I would say... Um, you know, being present, you know, mm. being willing to be in the moment and, and, and being aware. Um, it's a cliche, but it's, and you know, maybe it was Martha Stewart who said it, but it was like, uh, you know, uh, life is what happens when you're planning for the future. Um, and in the moment is all we have, right? There is, yeah. there is no, there is no tomorrow. It never gets here. It's tomorrow always tomorrow. Never tomorrow. Comes. Yeah. So I would say that the, the, the primary ingredient would be this attitude, um, of, of extracting the greatest amount of enjoyment, contentment, pleasure, fulfillment out of every possible moment. And there are going to be moments where, where it's not there. But it's those moments where it's not there that gives, again, talked about balance. It gives meaning mm. to the other. People ask me, like, Mark, do you want to live to be, you know, Dave Asprey wants to be 180. Mm. Good luck, pal. But, um, <laughs> but uh, do you, what about you, Mark? What about this whole biohacking? Yeah. I'm like, no. I mean, at this point, if I make it to 90 and I'm, and I'm healthy and then I, I drop dead, I'm good with that. Yes. Because it's the finiteness. It's actually the mortality and the finiteness of life that gives it meaning to me now. Bingo. If somebody said you could live, you could be immortal and live forever, I'm like, why the hell would I get up every morning? Mm. What, would be, what would be the motivation to, to do so? To learn more th People say to learn more things. Bullshit. I, <laughs> I mean, I, it, really, so it, it's, that, it's, the, it's the contrast. Mm. So yeah, you'll have horrible moments, but it's the horrible moments that give the good moments even greater weight yeah. if you appreciate the good moments yeah. and not take them for granted. Yeah. So I like that, I like that, that sort of juxtaposition of the two. Now, I'm actually really glad you said that too because our culture has become really like just terrified of the D word death yeah. and like people want to people want to act like it's not coming for all of us yeah. like like none of us get out alive and there's a old stoic philosophy of memento mori and, and and meditating on this idea of like one day you're going to check out and there's even these calendars where you can cross off the weeks that you get and i think it's something like four thousand weeks yeah, in a yeah. lifetime or something yeah. but as you start to get you like oh yeah i mean that that does give that polarity to the fact that this is a blessing because i'm not always gonna have it and the pain gives more rise to the pleasure when it comes around and things like that and i think that's just an incredibly wise thing and i think we should put that conversation on the table and then get to decide well if if death is coming for all of us and hopefully it's not painful and it's in distant in the future but we've got to decide how that makes us want to live yep. and a health is a is a key recipe in that too right because if you have your health like you said you want to be the 70 year old that's not wheelchair bound that's not taking medications and all of that stuff but is thriving and can still go on the hikes and stuff like that so that's what i want to focus on on now for you a little bit in terms of your your training for longevity, your balance, your play, the mental aspect of it too, but also the physical. And we want to talk about the new the new serial entrepreneur endeavor, mm. the Paluva shoe, because I've been I'm sitting here, you can't see it on camera, but I'm barefoot. I'm barefoot as much as I possibly can. Really believe in the feedback mechanisms through the feet and how it keeps our brain sharp, even cognitively. But it's our foundation, right? So. How are you training these days and what's going on with these crazy new five toe finger <laughs> shoes and palover and sure, tell us the sure. story that. So how I'm training these days is, um, you know, it's more uh, cross training than ever. Um, I do maybe two days in the gym uh, of sort of, you know, upper body, um, 
you know, body weight exercises. Um, I try to ride a fat bike mm-hmm. on the beach twice a week. Um, it's an incredible workout. It's, I don't know if, if you ever get to Miami, I'm taking you out on the Let's bike, go. man. Um, but it's a fat tire bike. So it's four and a half inch wide tires with low inflation. And we just ride on the sand. We'll do 10 or 15 miles on the sand. Burns the legs, I'm guessing. It burns the legs. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the irony is the slower you go, the mm-hmm. harder it is because you're stuck in, you're literally stuck in sand and it's spinning. Um, but it's good because you don't have to wear a helmet. So you can be outside and, and riding a bike, but not having a, a helmet. Then I do um, at least one or two days of stand-up paddling. Nice. Uh, on the ocean, uh, in the bay in Miami Beach. When I go to I go to Europe in the summer, and I um, I, li- I have a house that I rent a couple months, and I have a so I have a, st- a standing sort of uh, stand up paddle session there. So stand up paddle is, is still my f- I think it's the greatest single workout ever ever devised. The call, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. was surprised when I did it the first yeah, time yeah. how much my obliques no were the, the ob- oblique serratus yeah. everything is like you know and and so that's you know that's that's my my thing. So uh, but and then I play a little bit of frisbee, I yep. play a little bit of ultimate. So I try to mix it up. Uh, not so much uh, because I'm not training for a sport anymore. Right. I'm training for generic general life, right? Yeah. And, and the ability to um, to maybe go for an hour and a half hike yeah. without ever hiking that much and, and be able to do it and mm. break into a little bit of a jog on certain parts of the hike um, to be able to go on a, on a long bike ride with somebody, um, you know, to be able to, to, to play, to tumble uh, with my grandchildren mm-hmm. In the backyard. I mean, you know, as you get older, you go, oh, that's what they're talking about, getting up off the ground. Yeah. How, you know, how that's really a life skill to yeah. get up off the ground. Not just once, but 16 times while the kid's like, let's go do this. Okay, sit down. Let's go do this. No, no, no. Come over here. I, 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 my granddaughter calls me Poppy. So, um, and, you know, be, to be able to, to participate in life is really the, like the motivator yeah. now. Um, much less than getting ready for some event or some, you know, some calendared goal. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And how big of a piece to that puzzle is also the restoring of function, like when you said the getting up and down off the ground, the body's ability to move through its full ranges of motion, and the the feet again, this foundational yep. pillar that everything stems from. So what's what's the story <laughs> there with this foot health thing and? Let's, yeah, let's so see um, so I've been I've been a fan of foot health um, and shoe comfort uh, for the longest time. Um, I've been you know as an early adopter of the of the uh, first five-toed shoes, wore them almost exclusively for a long time, but was never really uh, satisfied with the look mm. of them, and always felt that they were great for maybe the gym, mm. uh, but not so much for hiking long distances or walking on pavement for long distances. Um, you know, to your point, you know, the, just going back to feet and being barefoot, we are, you know, this crucible, this, this evolutionary crucible in which we evolved consisted of us walking barefoot, bipedal barefoot, mm. um, on, um, on uneven surfaces our entire life for millions of years, right? So it was, it was, uh, you know, yes, yeah, some rocks, but mostly matted grass, mm. uh, hard packed dirt, um, mossy areas. And every footfall, your brain was supposed to um, get signals from the 8,000 to Mm -hmm. 10,000 sensors in your foot. And by the time you went forward onto your foot, the brain already told the ankle how to bend, the knee how to flex, Mm. the hip how to torque, and how to to accept that load in a way that was uh, congruent with the biomechanics of your body. So 
so you know we have these amazing feet that that then we encase mm. in these casts that we walk around in all day long bypassing all of that sensory input um ceding the control of our uh, shock absorption, not to the appropriate biomechanics of loading, but to a cushioned sole, yes. you know, a midsole that, that somehow is supposed to absorb the shock, allow us to run. Um, in the case of running shoes, it'll, it forces us almost to run yeah. um, heel, you know, to heel strike, which is not how we're supposed to run. We're supposed to f f uh, heel strike when we walk. That's, you know, just heel, toe, heel, toe when you walk. But when you run, it's supposed to be sort of a midfoot, mm. A biased movement. So anyway, so so over the years we've had, uh, you know, not just the running shoe industry, which has not decreased injuries by any any no. stretch, um, but we have the fashion industry, which tries to cram our feet into narrow, pointy shoes. And as a result, everybody that I know, I mean, seventy-seven percent of people, according to the American Podiatric uh, Association, have foot problems in mm. their life. Wow. Um, and it's you know, it could be bunions, could be neuromas, could be uh, plantar fasciitis, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Achilles problems, whatever. It's because of our shoes. I mean, it, it, shoes are to feet what the standard American diet is to our gut health and our regular health, right? Love Which that is, analogy. You know, yeah. we've somehow society has kind of taken this beautiful organ, this foot, and corrupted it. Yeah. I mean, imagine being a concert pianist yeah. And then having to say, okay, now play a Rachmaninoff piece with oven mitts mm -hmm. on. Okay, let's see how you do. Yeah. Right? So we want to... Anyway, so I wanted to create, reimagine footwear in a way that was comfortable first. Like, I wanted the most comfortable shoe I could create. Um, functional, and that means individual uh, articulated toes. So you, there's a lot of companies make shoes with a wide toe box. But, yeah. but the toes have to move up and down yeah. with the terrain. They have to, especially the big toe. And stylish. And so do you mind if I show? Uh... I would love to see them. Let's see them. <laughs> okay, so this is this is um, just a, a black and white trainer. Uh, this is called the Strand. The company's called Peluva, P-E-L-U-V-A. Um, but this has um, what we would call, uh, it's wide, thin, flat, yeah. and flexible, yeah. right? So there's um, zero drop. So it's it's only one centimeter in height. Your, your heel is only one centimeter yeah. off the ground. There's a little bit more cushioning than you'd see in some of the standard minimalist shoes. But... Um, and it's very, you know, it's very flexible. It, yes. You know, yeah. So it's got all of those things. And I think it looks quite good. And the, and the upper is much more substantial. Yeah. Um, this is a, um, this is a, a, a slip on. This is a loafer. Yeah. This one we call the Miami loafer. The Miami and, loafer. Uh, uh, I wear this to um, going out to dinner at night yes. in, in yes. Miami when I'm dressed up. Yeah. Um, th interestingly, we just wanted it to look like a shoe. So that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a high sidewall. It's still only a little bit more than a centimeter off the ground when you're in the shoe. So it's a minimalist, it's a minimalist shoe. Again, yes. it's very, you know, very flexible. And the wide toe box um, and the articulated toes allow people to feel the ground. So even mm. with a shoe, if you walk over an uneven surface, you walk over rocks, you feel the rocks in a good way. It's mm -hmm. like, it's mm -hmm. like literally massaging your foot. Um, here's a, here's a leather, a leather lace up for work. For the businessman. For the businessman, Let's right? Go. You know? Um, and you know, a bunch of other colors and things like that. Oh, I just brought a bunch of them today just to show, but it's, we wanted to, um, you know, once you understand the concept of toe splay and mm -hmm. foot health and, mm -hmm. and toe freedom, um, the problem is you won't want to wear 
I know regular shoes again, and that was a big issue for me. Yeah, because I've been I've known people in the shoe industry for a long time. Some of my best friends are in the shoe industry, mm. and so I've always had access to some of the best, best new um, shoe styles. I could never wear them. I can yeah. wear them a little bit. I can wear them, you know, for an hour or two, but for long periods of time, like in some of the the most popular shoes out today, I can't walk more than two miles no. because my knees hurt. Yeah, because my feet aren't. You know, my, my feet aren't getting the information about the change in terrain, 100%. and so my and so my knees hurt. That's like bizarre. You would think it'd be the opposite. Yeah. So then I put on, the, you know, these these shoes. Like I, I could walk. Uh, last summer I was in in France testing, wear testing a lot of these. I put like twelve and fourteen miles a day on pavement, on concrete, yeah. in these. Just felt beautiful the whole time. So, the idea was. We have what we call a paluva for all occasions. Mm -hmm, so once mm -hmm. you once you understand the concept, you say, well, you know, that's great if I'm in the gym and I'm and I'm doing squats and I want a nice wide yes. base. But what about when I go to work or what? I'm a nurse. What you know? I'm yes. working in a hospital. What can I do? Well, we have we have you know offerings. We have styles that work within the context of all these different um, life situations. Going out to dinner, going out to drinks, going with your friends, going to events uh, at, in the in the office in the you know, in a clerical situation, yeah. in a warehouse. I mean, so that's, and it's just exciting to me to think that- I love it. That this is, um, this is where footwear should have gone starting 20 years ago. Yeah. But it got sort of sidetracked with the ugliness of the, of the five-toed shoe concept. Isn't that an interesting take that, that this is what shoes should be like? And yeah. only because we have this expectation that, that these other things and they should look a certain way that yeah. that's why these can sometimes be seen weird. But no, that's the foot. And I love ex what you said about this kind of like incredible piece of technology that we have. There's yeah. like a third of the total bones in the human body are in the foot and something yeah. like that, like all of this feedback. And it's interesting. I started um, playing with CrossFit recently and there's some Olympic lifting in that. So I got some Olympic lifting shoes just for those specific lifts, like snatching and power cleans. And I have those things on for 10 minutes and I feel my feet feel like they're dying. Yeah. There's like a loss of blood flow to them and like it's so cramped and tight. Now they help with the lift, but man, I can't wait to get those off and get my, you know, nice so, wide so there's foot a, back. There's a great example <clears throat> example of of it helps with the lift. Um, you know, when um like I do sled, I do sled yeah. work with these. And people would say, Well, don't you want a stiffer, mm. a stiffer sole so you can do more sled work? Mm. Well, is it about doing more sled work? Or is it about getting stronger yeah. and getting more adapted? Yeah. And it's the reason, like, when I do deadlifts, I don't wear a belt. Yeah. The belt is, like, if the belt is bypassing some important um, input that my body should be giving me when I'm deadlifting, you know, 350 or 400 pounds, which I don't do. My max is 330 now at my age. Um, pretty still, good, by still the okay, way. Still <laughs> okay. And, and that's a hex bar, to be honest. Um, still, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take as an take ex marathoner as a skinny ass ex marathoner. I'll take it. Um, but the but the um, the idea that you should use shoes to bypass the information yes. so that you can do more work to what end? Yeah. Right now, if you're if you're playing uh, soccer or football, you wear the cleats, and I I get it, and that's going to you know bind your feet up. But those guys have some of the ugliest, nastiest yeah, feet ever yeah, they right do. and so they would be well served by sp spending all their other time all their waking hours either barefoot which is always number one mm. barefoot's always number one or wearing paluvas mm. now why is barefoot number one well it's number one because you you want that true sensation the problem is again we grew up or we evolved in the context of grass and uh dirt and rocks 
almost every surface now is concrete, pavement, uh, marble, tile, hardwood floors, and the feet were not, they did not evolve to be walking all day on that. So when you say we, we evolved to be barefoot, we did, but not not in the context of a These modern a modern yeah. you know city where I'd like to go barefoot, but even if I did, it would hurt me. It would it would hurt me. Yeah. So the idea that with the paluva was we wanted to create the same feeling mm. as you were walking barefoot on a putting green. Mm. I right? like it. So yeah, yeah, I like it. Awesome, awesome. I have a couple of questions now. I want to pivot into that a little bit more selfishly for me, but also I think there are this emerging conversation around a couple of these things in our culture, it's really important to address. So I'm sitting here now um, talking to someone that's incredible shape, staring down the barrel of 70 years old and prioritizing. Staring down the barrel. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> said playfully, <laughs> but with a 330 pound deadlift, let's yeah, not forget. Yeah, yeah. Um, and talking about the importance of maintaining muscle mass and performance. And it's something I think about because it's so, it's such a big part of my life too. And, and I want to one day look like you at that age. And there's this emerging conversation around um, supplements and potential hormonal replacement and TRT. And I saw a really scary stat recently. It was out of the UK that said something like, there's, there's over 10,000 teenagers getting on performance-enhancing drugs at an early age. 10,000? Yeah. It's a big, it's a much bigger number than that. You think? Yeah. It's a much, 10,000? Yeah. That's in one small town. Damn. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's millions. But Damn. anyway, yeah. Well, my thought train is I think there is a case and there's a place in people's lives to use these kind of like marrying the scientific understanding of the importance, like a testosterone replacement therapy for optimal aging and even not just muscle, right? Yep. Brain health yep. and mood and dopamine and but also not jumping on them too quickly to your mm -hmm. point, like with the shoes, mask something that's a root cause like a 30 year old shouldn't necessarily need testosterone. If right. they go on it, what are they missing? Just like in the shoe analogy, you should maybe address the mobility as opposed to just jumping on the TRT. So I want to get your thoughts and ask you, you know, what's been your protocol like that with agent? I've spoke about it in the past, but where is where where is the right time and place to think about something like getting endogenous support, uh, exogenous Exogen, support yeah. rather, yeah. for something like testosterone? You know, um, <clears throat> I I do. Uh, I'm I'm aware of thirty something and forty something people starting on on TRT. You know, if you have uh, chronically low levels and it's going to enhance your life in measurable ways. Um, I would not be against it. Yeah. I waited until I was 60 to start. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I, I could have said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be all natty mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. Um, that wasn't necessarily appealing to me. Yeah. I, I'm a, uh, genetically, I'm a, uh, uh, you know, a skinny guy mm -hmm. with, uh, like I, I should probably, I, I raced it 142 pounds. Right. I weigh 170 now. Yeah. And I'm same body fat, by the way. Right. Right. Um, so most of what I have is either, muscle so a little bit of extra fat and bone density and bone density is a, is big. a big part of that right so i want to carry that extra five or six pounds not 50 or 60 but five or six pounds of muscle uh for as long as i can so i i've been doing trt since i was 60. um you know would i recommend it in younger men again if, if you're if you test chronically low yeah sure in your 20s i i don't i don't see a reason to do that now Part of the, um, the, the, the problem with what we know about testosterone replacement is it, it, the industry has said, oh, my God, it's, it's dangerous. It's horrible. Mm. No, it's not. It's, it's one of the most benign. I mean, there are millions of people doing steroids. Yeah. And not a lot of them are 
are dying, mm -hmm. and not a lot of them are really in, in, in horrible shape. So I think it's probably one of the biggest sort of experiments, mm. non-control, non uncontrolled experiments in a long time. So the idea that, um, I had a big problem with this in sports when I was mm. saying, you know, like, like you do the Tour de France and you, you ride hard every day for 21 days, like hard, like, like life-threatening hard every single day. And you got to get up every day yeah. and do it again. Um, and so a lot of the people who tested positive for testosterone in, in the tour didn't have like huge off the charts levels. They had levels that were very low, but just enough to let them survive yes. to get to the next day, right? So, so the idea that you would take an elite event like that and then somehow um, eliminate, uh, prevent these athletes from taking a, a powerful medicine, a medication that would let them recover is sort of ironic that you know, you're, you're, you're forcing this on them. But I don't know, I, it's, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but, I, but I'm not against taking yeah. TRT. It's kind of a, it's kind of a if it's controlled and you, and, you, and you test, you know, do blood tests for it, um, you know, I'm gonna continue to take it for the yeah. rest of my life. And I know, you know, some of my friends who take it and it's just, it's just a little bit of an edge. And, yes. you know, my wife's been doing hormone replacement since she was pre-menopause or menopause. Yeah. Yeah. And it, changed her life yeah so that's one of those little areas i'm like okay i can use we can use modern science here bingo in that regard you know without feeling like we're cheating at some game of life yeah you know? exactly you're enhancing yeah. again like yeah. exactly like you said pulling out more enjoyment because yeah what it affords now if we talk about growth hormone i'd say yeah i'm less less inclined to do yeah. growth hormone right yeah. so yeah. so there you know but i've done a lot of research into this so we'll um you know we'll see what that looks like in the future the one yeah. thing about growth hormone that intrigues me is the is the collagen uh, yes. building aspect of it yeah and i think it's just a, it's really interesting conversation because again like to your case if you look at all of the potential benefits that are afforded to someone that's maybe hypogonadal and in the 30s that it's going to enhance your quality of life it's going to increase your libido it's going to increase the the chance that you live a long and healthy life then get on it but i think we miss sometimes the elephant in the room too which i believe testosterone has been declining at about a one percent rate every year for about 50 years yeah so that's like a like a 50 percent drop in 50 years and that obviously points to bigger problems in our culture we've said that seed oil thing a lot and we've mm -hmm. talked about these modern stressful lifestyles and i think this is a big part of the testosterone story too and i want to ask you about how the sun, the sun story, vitamin D, getting out. You, you've been a big proponent of being a fan of the sun for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of the sun. Yeah. What's your, what's your, firstly, do you wear sunscreen? Um, sometimes. Okay. And, here, and here's why. Um, I spend, well, so I'll, I'll, I'll take you back to, again, here we go back with modern technology and science. But I, when I did my DNA test um, a couple of years ago, it demonstrated that I'm not a good converter. Hmm. Uh, of vitamin D. So the amount of time I spend in the sun isn't, isn't reflected in the levels of vitamin D. So I yeah. take supplemental vitamin D. Yeah. Um, and I'm a big fan of vitamin D. And I think, uh, you know, it's, but I spend time, I spend so much time in the sun doing stuff that, uh, like whether it's riding a bike or a lot of stand up paddling. Yeah. And I live in Miami Beach. So yeah. I'm literally on weekends, I hang out at the beach with my friends. Yeah. Um, so I will put on, a sunscreen after you know half an hour or mm. so, um, a zinc-based sunscreen. Um, so I I'm very careful not to burn, mm. but I get as much natural sun as I can, 
And then having said that, I do supplement with vitamin D because um, I'm not a good converter of yeah. sunlight. And it may, you know, I don't know whether it's it's got to do with a cholesterol thing in mm. my skin. It was like, it was a, again, it was one of those uh, chromosome analysis mm. things that came back to me based on my uh, Northern European heritage or whatever it was. I would reason. say um, the, the red beard makes me a good sun synthesizer, maybe, because yeah. <laughs> I get burned easily or used to, which is a really interesting story in this thing, right? Like I remember growing up, going on vacations to Spain and getting fried in the sun and having to lather up and now adopting more of a protein forward, saturated fat, rich diet devoid yeah. of the seed oils. Like yeah. my ability to spend time in the sun has increased enormously. And again, like you said, if you need the sunscreen, definitely go zinc based. I'll just be smart and cover up sometimes. Yeah. Right? And, and Having said that, I, I don't burn anymore. Yeah. People, you know, even if I stayed out for a long period of time, I don't burn. But, you know, as you get older, it, that shit accumulates. And yeah. Like, like, you know, it's you see people who've been out in the sun and they're healthy and they're not they don't have cancer, but they got freaking wrinkles up the, yeah. up the wazoo. So I'm like, I, you know, I want to kind of the and, I, and by the way, I do put on a face sunscreen. Yeah, I, I, I'm almost always wearing a face sunscreen for that reason. Yeah. And it may be too late because I spent 30 years, 40 years grinding sweat, <laughs> grimacing, you know, all the shit that isn't good for your, for your, for your wrinkles in the sun working out outside. Yeah. Well, I'd say you look pretty good, man. So whatever you've been doing is yeah. working. So, um, I have one last question for you yeah. before we bring on callers. Yeah. Um, I, became a, I recently just celebrated a 10 year anniversary with my wife and um, looking to other people that have done this marriage thing successfully for a long time. I believe you've been with your wife for over 30 years, yeah, 35 years. Yeah. I'd love to hear some insights around a happy and healthy, successful long-term marriage. Cause that's a, uh, you know, rare these days it, it's very rare. And uh, we, you know, we've come close to separating a couple of times over the, over the decades. Mm. Um, and every time we got there, we got through it and it was better mm. on the other side. And so I think one thing that happens to young people is again, they have this sort of um, assumption that if it's not working, I'm, I'm out, it's easy to get out, I'll leave. It's always easier to leave than it is to stay and try and fix it and, mm. and repair it. Um, so I've been, I look back on those times, there were really only two times, and I'm like, God, thank God we, we made that happen because I have other friends who got divorced and it was like terrible. Now, it, it, there's a lot in my mind. Um, you have to be, uh, you know, communication is a cliche. You have yeah. to c communicate. Um, you have to have common interests. So children is always like the first common interest. Mm -hmm. um, but also uh, my wife and I, um, she'll be on another podcast with me this afternoon and she's 67. I, I hope she doesn't... Uh, hate me for saying that but she's the best looking 67 year old woman you've, you've ever seen um fit you know in in terms of and and that's because of her lifestyle because mm -hmm. we have similar lifestyles we spend a lot of time in the gym we eat similarly so we have those common interests and that's i can't imagine that happening with with uh some and i've seen it you've seen it in other in the paleo community where somebody's like all in on uh, vegan and somebody else is going full carnivore it just doesn't work Right. So there's a lot of things like that. And then I think you have to be, you know, attracted to each other. I think, yeah. I think sex is still a, a big component of, of marriage and you, and, and f as far as we're concerned, you know, it probably wouldn't work if we, yeah. if we weren't, um, you know, compatible that way too. So there's a lot of, a lot of these elements that, um, that come together. And for some people they stay together for decades and, you know, they, 
you know they've, they've they have an agreement yeah. to do things differently but it's convenient to, to mm. you know to live in the same building i don't think that's that's the recipe for a strong marriage but, right but people do that but you know we're you know having having gotten married and raised our kids in los angeles which is sort of the divorce capital of the world mm. and particularly the hollywood area we're pretty proud of the fact that we've been together so long. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. And like you said, not not just in a in a generic like we're, we're doing this purely because of the contract of marriage, but we're doing this because everything that you've said today has been about maximizing enjoyment. Yeah. And that means I love the the point you said about when it, when it gets hard, that's where most people just quit and yeah. leave. Um, and and the fact that you stayed and you said no, you know what we got to do here? We got to work through this, yeah. and we'll be better for it. That's uh, that's some sage advice, my friend. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, we're going to wrap this one up with getting a couple of callers on the line. We've got Carrie and Joshua. So what we do now, we bring them on. They'll ask a question and we'll riff on it a little bit and see what we can offer these folks. So Carrie's up first. She's calling from Montana. Carrie, come and say hello to Mark and I and let us know what uh, your question is today and we'll see what we can do. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So my husband and I transitioned to an animal-based diet in January. Um, and as I've been learning about diet, dietary protein needs, I noticed most equations are based on ideal or goal body weight and quickly realized I probably really have no idea what mine should be. Um, my lightest adult weight was pre-children and I was running but not incorporating strength. My fittest weight was probably during the three years we did CrossFit and we're eating a pretty standard American diet with paleo sprinkled in. Hmm. Um, so I've been pondering all this false toxic information women are fed as we grow up and I figured I can't be the only woman who's attempting a conversion to animal based who really has no idea what her natural healthy body composition and weight should be or what to expect from her body you know as she transitions over to this new lifestyle so I guess what would you say to us women who've been raised with these toxic views of body image weight BMI etc for switching to animal based um, one what expectations or shifts should we have in the way we view our weight mm-hmm. and body composition? And then two, practically, um, what is the best way to figure out our ideal or goal body weight to make sure we're meeting our daily protein um, requirements? Awesome question, Carrie. Thank you for asking. I agree. I think a lot of people will really resonate with this question. Mark, this relationship to body composition and the scale, you've talked about mm-hmm. this a lot over the years. How's your thinking and framing of that right now? You know, um, I, I think the attachment to the scale um, is is misplaced, uh, as is the attachment to some BMI. Uh, number one in my book is how do you feel, mm. right? So that's always going to lead the way. How do I feel? Because if, if I'm, you know, uh, cut, ripped, f- looking fantastic, and I feel like crap, that's 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 not the goal here. You know, uh, I don't want to I don't want to maintain some. Um, artificial uh, body weight, body image, body composition, uh, because I read about it in a magazine or in a book, and then feel like crap because everything else is is kind of out of whack. So number one is is how do you feel? Number two is you know part and parcel of that. Instead of the scale, instead of a, how do your clothes feel and mm. fit? How, you know how do you look and feel in your clothes? There is no uh, because people are different and people have different. Um, backgrounds and different uh, familial histories and different predispositions, there's no, I can't really even give a, you know, a grid that says yeah. if you're this height and, and, yeah. and whatever that, that you should weigh this. Um, which, which gets me to 
um, what was one of the original tenets of the primal blueprint, which was if you eat appropriately, your body will tell you what the ideal body composition is. Mm. If you eat appropriately, your body mm. will will get to a point uh, where it's comfortable and healthy and looks good. And whether or not it's you know 22% for a woman versus 16% for a woman is almost irrelevant. It's it's the it's the health aspect of that that is most crucial. Now, one of the things that uh, that I look at in terms of protein, um, and and I think going to an animal based diet, your protein is going to be quality protein. That's mm -hmm. great because that's always been a big issue for me. I don't look at protein from meal to meal. Like, should I get 20 grams at a meal or 30 grams at a meal or how often should I divide it up? I don't even look at protein from day to day. I look at protein almost like how much did I get in aggregate over the last four or five days? Mm. So some days if I fasted and I didn't eat, it doesn't matter because the next day I, I had a little bit more protein than, than I would have metered out for myself if I were adhering to a everyday, you know, 105 grams a day everyday diet. So I wouldn't even pay as much attention to um, the the meal to meal requirements or the or or I would definitely not base it on my my weight. Um, I think it's mm. it's fine to overdo the protein a little bit. Yeah, you know. So if you said, well, the chart says I should be getting a hundred grams a day, but I'm getting 120. I'm like, good on you. Yeah, like go for that. Um, on the other hand, if the charts, if a chart said I was getting 100 grams a day and I was averaging 75, I'd say you got to up the protein. Mm. Now, if you use protein as the lead in all your macros, and I always have, protein's number one. So if you just, like I would say for any woman, like 100, 100 is a sort of a, a nice starting point. Yeah. And nobody needs less than 80 grams. And very few people would be well served by more than 150 grams. Mm -hmm. So you got a pretty narrow range anyway. There you go. And then if on a day-to-day -day basis you say, well, geez, last night I had I went to a, a restaurant and I had a 12-ounce you know, sirloin and I ate the whole thing and it was amazing, great. And then if today you say, well, I'm just going to have uh, you know scrambled eggs for breakfast and some bacon and I'm not going to eat until dinner and I'll have a piece of salmon, that's great too. So... The, the using protein as the basis for everything else in your in your diet is a great way to start. Then you layer on, okay, how much do I want to eat vegetables? If I'm going to be animal-based, do I want to cut back on my vegetables, which is fine with me if you do? Um, and how much, you know, how many carbs do I want to add into the equation? And if you've listened to to Paul Saladino, and you you know we know that some amount of fruit is perfectly acceptable and appropriate on a on an animal-based diet the at the end of the day what you realize is that it doesn't take that many calories to maintain muscle mass yeah. maintain strength maintain lose lose body fat um stay um healthy and in, in other words not get sick and most importantly not get hungry mm -hmm. like it doesn't take that if you are using protein as your primary indicator or primary value in any diet and then just sort of plugging in the rest of the healthier elements of the diet um, as you are hungry or not hungry, you're going to do just fine. And what's going to happen is your body composition over time, it, you're going to burn, you're going to, first of all, you're going to develop metabolic flexibility and that'll allow you to mm. burn fat all the time, whether or not you're working out. And then with this metabolic flexibility, you can go longer periods of time without eating. And as long as you're not hungry, 
that's fine. That's your body telling you, I can do this. I have the resources. I have the, I have the stored body fat. And over time, you'll trend toward your ideal body composition. So I'd almost work it from that angle rather than charts and graphs and how do I figure out where I should be. Love does that it. make sense, Carrie? Yeah, it does. And I think part of the challenge for me as a, a one on the Enneagram, I'm very type A and love lists and charts mm-hmm. and all of that. It's training my body to, and my mind, honestly, to trust my body, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's affirming to hear you say that the process is about getting in touch with our bodies and understanding what our body needs, not what someone else outside information is, is putting on our lives. Um, so that's good to learn to just trust my body. Cause I've noticed there's days where I could eat a hundred grams of protein just fine. And then there's other days where I'm like super full at 80 or 70. And like, I think I'm going to be sick if I keep trying to force protein down my throat. So it's good to hear that there's just this flexibility and that our bodies kind of flow with that. So, yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, listen to the system. That's what we've said. And Carrie, I think there's like Mark, pretty much nailed that. I'm just going to come in and try and put a little bow on it because I love his recommendations. Also that tight frame that you said of like, basically nobody's going to be served going less than 80 and nobody really needs a, a, a woman that's active is going to need more than 150. So there's at least a range and then just start playing and see where you fall intuitively in that dial it up a bit, dial it back a bit. But this relationship again to the scale and the, and the numbers, it can be so problematic for so many people because they get on that thing first thing in the morning and it's the relationship to gravity that decides what kind of day they're going to have. <laughs> it's either going to be like, oh, you know, I, I suck. I'm a failure. Or, oh, today's a good day. And it's just not healthy. It's not helpful. You know, how you look, how you feel, how you perform, your relationship, the quality of your choices and being able to listen to this amazingly intelligent and intuitive machine is massive. So just keep enjoying the process and really listening and heeding Mark's advice there on yes, leading with protein and having that be the longest lever and just running this experiment and keep doing what you're doing, Carrie. It sounds like you're well on the right way. So good job. And uh, last but certainly not least is a Texas native. We have Joshua on the line. Joshua is calling in to ask a question. Where are you, Joshua? What's going on? What can we help you with? Uh, Definitely. So uh, I just wanted to give you guys a call um, and give you an update. I was actually on the first, I I believe it was y'all's first podcast, when I was just starting the animal-based diet. Okay. I was only a few weeks in, and I was kind of curious on – at my asthma and um kind of ha- how long it because I, I remember paul I, I think it was paul that was on and i was curious you know how long it had taken him to kind of reverse his asthma and his eczema issues and i think i, I answered my own question so i kind of just wanted to give you guys an update Nice, Josh. So it sounds like you are the luckiest man alive when it comes to calling in and getting the stud guest. You got Paul on episode one, you got Mark here today, and you're just sharing an an awesome win and the fact that you're really thriving on an animal-based diet, which is epic. So let me ask you this then, seeing as you've got us for the next few minutes, what's next? What's next, Joshua? You're feeling good? You've put your asthma into remission almost, or you've, you know, you're, you're well on the other side of that. How do you now thrive? Where are you going to level up? What's, what's coming next? What could we give you any tips or tricks on? Well, it's crazy because, uh, you know, as you know, Easter was uh, last Sunday. Uh, we had a barbecue and I went to my wife's family's get together. And uh, it was the first time, and now I'm uh, on month four, about four months, that I went ahead and ate bread 
ate this cupcake. I ate some hot Cheetos. Oh yeah. And I had some beer. You know, I was drinking and I was I was completely off my my animal base. You know, I hadn't done any of those things, and my asthma almost instantly came back. I almost started mm. wheezing. I literally was looking like for an inhaler that I didn't have because I didn't have to use it for the last four months. And so, uh, yes, on Monday, um, it started going back into like permission, I guess you could say mm-hmm. I, I completely got back on my, on my thing. You know, I was, you know, no more bread, you know, I was, I was back on my animal based diet. So I just wanted to kind of let you know that I was, I was worried at first, you know, I, I, that was the whole reason I got on the animal based diet was because of my asthma issues and some, you know, immune issues. And it seems like that flared back up when I got off of it. So it's, it's just kind of crazy now that it's, it's, it's almost completely gone. Today's Wednesday, and I'm feeling so much better um, than I did on Sunday. Hmm. Well, is that crazy, Mark? Is it crazy that food directly impacts how we feel, especially if we've got certain proclivities or tendencies towards something? It's sometimes the painful reminder we need, right? No, there's your experimental one, right? Yeah. So you went off, you, you cleaned the diet up, and uh, you got the results. Um, it's sort of a good news, bad news. So, yeah. so now you know, you know, the good news is you know what to do not to have asthma. The bad news is um, if you go off that program, you know what you're doing wrong. Yeah. Right. And that I think that's the that's a big issue for a lot of people um, who, you know, the body is uh, amazing at adapting to to pain. Right. Mm. And so there are so many people going through this life who 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 have asthma, who have systemic inflammation, who have um, you know, all sorts of blood sugar issues who are overweight, can't lose the weight, who, who can't uh, work out, have, have uh, joint pain. And for them, that's normal, right? That's their normal life. And so they've adapted to it and it doesn't feel painful. And for those same people who've gone primal, and I've heard thousands, hundreds of thousands of these, of these stories, they go primal. Oh, Mark, geez, I, I, I lost 75 pounds. I went off my meds. I'm feeling great. I'm doing exercise. And then so that's, that's, you know, the good part. That's the good news. And then they say, you know, and then I, I lost, I lost the, the mojo. Mm. I went back on the old diet and it all came back again. I'm like, well, you know, now you know, yeah. right? That's the, that's the, the, the good news, bad news. You, now, the, now it's no one to blame, yes. you know, about yourself for that. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, you can't, you can't unlearn that, right? It's, it's like when you've experienced what Joshua experienced and the many people you've seen through Max Daily Apple of healing all of these things and then... Like, what are you going back to if you indulge again in the mouth pleasure? You're just going back to pain. You're going back to inflammation. You're going back to low mood. And is that really what you want? And maybe Josh here as well is a case of the dose makes the poison, right? Mm. Like maybe having one hamburger on a bun wasn't going to send you into a spiral, but kind of sounds like you just, you know, it's Easter full send. I'm going to have the bun and the chocolate and the beer and whatever else was going on. So maybe there's like that good old word called moderation too, which I know is hard to find, but we know those foods, like like we know the seed oils, we know the gluten containing grains, they're never going to be the foods that help us thrive. But hopefully we build enough resiliency that if we do encounter them, that we can bounce back and maybe that's just a process of healing like you've been doing this now for what four months what happens when you've turned that into four years yep. and your level of resiliency there you know what i'm saying so josh and carrie thank you for calling into the show uh, a member from the team is going to be reaching out and getting you a free bottle of beef organs to thank you for joining us and uh mark that's it for our callers man what a fun chat um I would just like to open the floor for anything you've got to say, let people know where they can find Paluva and any kind of just closing words, closing thoughts, closing bits of wisdom. One more thing. <laughs> what does it 
feel like, I guess, to almost... Does it feel like almost to be passing the torch to a younger generation of healthpreneurs? Like, you've led... Like, you're a goat, the greatest of all time in many people's eyes. Like, now being in this for so long and seeing these new people come up, do you feel like there's almost an energy of, like... My work here is done in this field. Obviously, you've still got a lot of gusto yeah. left in you, but what's the relationship? Oh, no, right no. Now? I love this. I love the fact that there are so many podcasts and so many books coming out and so many practitioners that are embracing what was a real fringe concept yeah. when we started it in you know, 2003, four, and five, and then um, the, the blog in 2006. So it's, it's a great uh, feeling to know that the work that I, the early work that I did because again, like like I was the guy saying, don't be afraid of saturated fat. Yeah, right. You know that statins are bad for crazy. you. That you can't lose weight doing exercise. And people are like, you're crazy. You should not be. Like you should be shot for dispelling yeah, that or yeah, disseminating yeah. that information. So it feels it feels very good to be validated that way. Um, in terms of where people can find me, um, I met Mark's Daily Apple uh, blogging again regularly. Um, I'm Mark Sisson Primal on. Uh, on Instagram, and then uh, Paluva.com is the new shoe company. I really uh, encourage people to go check that out. Um, P-E-L-U-V-A, Paluva.com. Um, it means P-E is foot, and Luva is glove in, uh, ah, very in Portuguese, cool. so it's foot glove. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then in terms of just uh, you know general advice, uh, I think sort of the the um, the theme of this show was kind of you know enjoy the process, enjoy mm -hmm. the moment. Mm. Thank you very much for being here, Mark. We'll put everything in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the chat. This was a real pleasure for me, man. I appreciate your work that you've done a lot. And I hope we continue to keep your wisdom in good hands and paying it forward and creating more ripples. So thank you very much, my friend. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate Thanks, everybody. It. We'll see you next week. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps to spread this message of radical health. We'll see you next week.